Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, please welcome back in former guest and my good friend, Paul McNeil. Let me read a quick background on Paul, and then we'll jump in the episode. He is a speaker, brand evangelist, and technologist, and the owner of the Crypto Curator. Paul spent the earlier part of his career serving in the U.S. Navy Submarine Force, working in communications. After 10 years serving his country, he held leadership positions at the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, overseeing the Global Wireless Device Program. He co-founded a content curation startup, which grew rapidly and was recently acquired. He was an early adopter of Bitcoin, becoming aware of it in 2011, and has since continued to monitor the developments of blockchain technology daily. His creation is hand-selected daily, helping others recognize the most important news of the day. Mentoring young entrepreneurs is a passion of his, and through the NextGen Summit, Paul works with groups of young entrepreneurs daily. Being on the cutting edge of technology means everything to him. He has a passion to help businesses leverage innovative technologies to accelerate their growth. He currently resides in Dallas, Texas. And we have quite another in-depth conversation, mainly about Bitcoin, some blockchain technology. Um, We kind of talk all in those realms today, and it's a... uh, a good thorough conversation, some follow-up to our discussion about two years ago, and then obviously all the different developments that have happened recently um, we go into. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. I know I did. So without further ado, please welcome in Paul McNeil. And Paul, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, It's good to have you back. It's been a while. Hey, man. Thanks for having me back on. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm excited to always, you know, I always enjoy chatting. I know you and I text, you know, randomly about this stuff and you're up to date on so much around digital assets and and where the world's going with it. Um, And and the reason I want to have you back on is, you know, obviously I've been big as a, as a, depending on where we're looking at it, but I've been into the space for several years. It's interested me about where the world's going and technology and those type of things. But I still talk with folks, you know, it seems like every other day, you know, that are like, I don't, I don't know if I want to buy Bitcoin or I, I think it's a scam or, you know, let's see what happens or it's too high or there's all these different things that I hear from folks. Um, so I wanted to have you back on to really dive deep into getting started with digital assets in general. We can talk more specifics around Bitcoin since it's it's probably known the most. Ethereum is next in line, and some of these other, um, you know, altcoins as they're called. But by the way, um, I went back and listened. Do you know last time you were on was almost two years ago? <laughs> Bitcoin was wow. at eight eight thousand. Bitcoin was at wow. eight thousand. Now you wow. encourage folks to buy some then and get into the game a little bit. Um, is your encouragement still? to get in the game at this point, as we stand today, I'll tell you what, let me just pull up my phone in real time, real time right now, as we're recording this, uh, it's at 65,250 around it. Yep. Yep. So let's start yeah. there. What's your encouragement now, again, for everyone out there, this is not financial or investing advice. This is just us kind of having a, a, you know, a fun conversation with it, but your thoughts on it. 
Exactly. You know what the first rule in Bitcoin is don't talk about your Bitcoin, but to talk about Bitcoin. And, and that's what I like doing is talking about Bitcoin. And as you said, it's not financial advice, but what people have to realize is, again, two years ago, we were at 8,000, right? And then fast forward just two years and you're at 65,000. Um, there is a huge, huge message in that. And this is what I try to tell a lot of people because people sometimes are concerned about volatility and, you know, the price and how it's moving. But I tell them, do me a favor, do this exercise anytime you're concerned about when you're entering Bitcoin, the price that it is. Nine years, well, 12, let me go back, 12, actually 13, Bitcoin is actually a teenager. 13 years ago, Bitcoin was $0, right? Brand new on the scene, didn't have any value. You fast forward 13 years and Bitcoin is now $65,000. People debate about if it's a store of value. If that's not a store of value, I don't know what it is. Now, today, Bitcoin is $65,000. Fast forward 13 years into the future, we're north of a million. I, I'm, I'm, I can almost promise you we're north of a million. And so the question becomes, should you have entered Bitcoin at $65,000? Of course you should have. I mean, no duh. That's the thing. And this is what people fail to realize is we have a time problem. We can't stretch our minds 13 years in the future and say, I'm just going to wait for 13 years to pass and I'm good to go. We're concerned with the day-to-day -day fluctuations and it distracts a lot of people and it prevents a lot of people from getting in because they go 65,000 is too much money to pay for Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I look at it from, you know, you can take like a stock approach, you know, I'll, I'll go on the record saying I don't own any Tesla stock. I would have loved to own Tesla stock eight, 10 years ago, right? But I don't. Um, and yeah, you could say, like, oh, did I miss out or not? But I mean, there's, and there's thousands of those examples of, you know, stocks. But for some, I don't know what it is. And again, partly maybe it's because like a company looks real, like, okay, if I invest in Apple, well, that's a real company. They have money in the coffers, they're, they have, you know, I'm holding their technology, et cetera, et cetera. Bitcoin, at least the argument I get from folks is like, I don't see it. Where is it? I don't, I can't, I can't touch it. I don't have it. You know, even though my argument back to them is like, well, you don't see your money really. A lot of times it's sitting there too in the, in the, the ethos, but, um, or, or the, the ether, if, if you will, um, if I could use that term, but yeah. So I, 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 what are your thoughts on that? When, when folks are scared to like, well, I don't see it. I don't, I don't know where it is. How, how do I access it? Where do you start with them? Yeah, it's the same thing you just said. Money today is ones and zeros on a screen somewhere, right? If, if you sent me $5 across any platform, call it Venmo, PayPal, whatever, it's a one and a zero on a computer screen. All it is, you haven't given me anything tangible. It's just an out in the space. And so people that get caught up with this, well, I can't hold it. I can't touch it. I can't see it. Tell me this. When was the last time you held Apple stock? Never. How do you know you actually have Apple stock? Because E-Trade says I have it. Uh, did, do they, did they send you a piece of paper? No. Did they, did they send you any statement other than, you know, what's in your account? No. So it's the same thing. I don't know why people struggle with this digital asset being what it is. It's no different than anything else that we've touched in the past decade uh, when it comes to money. So mm -hmm. the reality is, is that I think because it is new and it's a new concept, People are trying to get them. There's a great book written by, and I'm going to forget his name now. In, uh, it's called The Creative Curve. Oh, Alan, Alan Gannett. 
There you go. Thank you, Alan. Sorry, Alan, forgot your name. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you watch it, uh, the the thing he said in that book is so, it, and it blew my mind when he said it. He said, people like the familiar and we like sort of the unfamiliar, right? At the same time, like if it's too familiar, we get bored with it. We're like, whatever. But if it's too unfamiliar, we're like, no, 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 stay away, stay away. You have to have this balance of something new, but still something old. And Bitcoin right now is still that way too new. And so people are like, ah, until they get close enough to it and then the light bulb goes off and then they're like, okay, give me more, give me more. Yeah. Well, and doesn't it appear like that's where it's going? I, I don't know what I listened to the other day. And I, I don't know if the, the information was inaccurate, but something like there's only like 3% adoption on Bitcoin or something like that. Like it's a very small percentage in the world, or maybe they're talking the US. I don't know ex exactly, but. It is, but I'm glad you brought that up because in today's news, and this is a great statistic. It says nearly a third of young Americans have used, traded, or invested in cryptocurrencies, according to a new survey. I was listening to a podcast with Crypto Dad. It was on the Bankless podcast. They were talking to Chris Giancarlo. He was the former CFTC chair. And so he said that he was in a meeting and he was talking to folks and he was like, listen, millennials, you guys have got the right idea. You're heading the right direction take take the take the mantle and lead on right and that's that's what people have to realize is that we're entering a new phase of money how money is controlled how money is created that whole nine yards and the millennial generation is going to take and really push that in a lot further the gen xers sitting out in the middle of nowhere right we're not the boomers not the millennials sitting there doing absolutely nothing that's the community that's really starting to gel with this and i think they're the ones that's really going to take the adoption but yeah. that's just me well, one of the things too that was interesting, and you actually brought this up to me when it made me do more research is like, you know, we talked about the banks earlier, but, and again, I didn't think about this just being, I'm an older millennial and just kind of being naive. I, I didn't have a lot of financial literacy when I was younger, um, which I think is a detriment to our education system, but we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. But the, uh, what was interesting is like, you know, we talk about the banks and like, oh, I have X amount in the bank. Well, yes, I have that in there, but the what I didn't realize was like the banks are taking that money, they're investing it, they're loaning it out, they're making money off my money. And one of the things you brought to my attention was like, um, was it USDC or what am I getting that wrong? Or what's the, you know, like the yeah, is um, and maybe explain that a little bit to folks because I want to go down the rabbit hole of actually getting started and, and buying Bitcoin and, and, and others and those type of things. But can you explain USDC? Because it's fascinating to me about interest rates and being able to actually um, get or make money off of your money, which see you leave it in the bank, you're almost making nothing. Correct. As you said, today's interest rates, as far as banks go, zero, right? It's a big goose egg. And why is that? Because that's currently the way the market goes. They're not paying you anything for any money. CDs, market funds, you know, savings accounts, those are your checking account, everything's zero. So USDC is a digital asset, which is considered to be a stable coin. And by that, it means that the price of the asset is going to stay pegged to the dollar. And why is that important? Because this is a way, and it was a, it, the tool was created in the early days of digital assets, primarily Bitcoin when it was around. 
Um, the process to get Bitcoin took so long because you had to take money from your bank, you had to send it to some particular exchange or platform. That whole process took days to happen. And then once it got in there, then you could take and buy the digital asset. And guess what? If you want to go sell Bitcoin, you had to sell it back to fiat dollars. And if you want to move that back to your bank, welcome to the three, five days it took to get back. Just too long. Now, people say, well, that's really not that long. We're used to that anyway. Yeah, but when you're a trader, that's a problem. That's way too long. You can't trade in and out of assets that way. So they came up with this whole concept of stablecoin. And Tether was the very first one which has a rocky past behind it, but it's, I think, cleared all those hurdles. And with a digital asset like a stablecoin like Tether, you can move in and out of Bitcoin really fast. You could buy Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin like within seconds, right? All of a sudden, you can introduce high-frequency trade into digital assets, which is just on, just it's just trading on crack, right? And so all of a sudden, these stablecoins are in high demand. They need a lot of them. And for me and you, you know, $100,000, a million dollars? No, these guys are talking to the tunes of hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. They're willing to pay you a high percent. Now, we look at the 10% that we get or the 9% or 8%, depending on which platform you use, and we think, wow, this is amazing. But what we don't understand is that they're probably making 20%, 30% on it. And so a person says, well, who is crazy to spend 30% interest on these stable coins? Well, when you're making 150 percent it's great right <laughs> because they're doing high frequency trade they're making so much money right now man it's ridiculous that's why they pay the prices they pay because they're making so much money yeah well so that goes back to what we were talking about with you know instead of stashing your money in the bank and obviously we we don't have to get down the inflation rabbit hole yeah. but it's better you're better off investing in or even just putting your money on one of these exchanges potentially that have USDC or, you know, like Tether, stuff like that, to be able to get eight, nine, 10% versus sitting in the banking in zero. Would that be an encouragement from your standpoint? Exactly. You, you look at it from this perspective, everyone have a risk profile, right? If you're an older person, you're less likely to take risk because you're like, you know what, I, I, I can't afford to lose this. So that type of person putting it into a stable coin and earning that 10% is just massive, right? But let's just say you're a younger person and you've got the flexibility, you still have a job, you still have good income, you've got a decent savings, right? You can play, put that stuff in these high risk type digital assets that move all over the place. And to be honest, they really aren't high risk. What's high risk is leaving your money in USD, the dollar. That's high risk. So putting it into any of these digital assets, you're doing great. And so that's so for someone that's taken, they don't have to put them in stable coins. So it just depends on your risk profile, what you're willing to stomach. Well, that goes back to the, I think the, as you mentioned earlier, that comfort level of, you know, at least if I go to like a bank, you know, insert any bank name, Based in the U.S., it seems like it's federally insured. Like I feel more comfortable of okay, that money's sitting in there. Yes, I can technically access it if I need to or whatever, pay bills, etc. I think that's the thing. If it's sitting on one of these exchanges, even if they might be based in the U.S., it's how it's hard to access that money. People feel or buy things with it or whatever. Could so maybe and and that might be a good starting point of like if someone wants to whether it's purchase Bitcoin or others or anything like that. Um, or put their money USDC, wh what is the encouragement? Like, how do they start with that? What's like the first step or two that they would, you know, even look at? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, the first step when you're looking at this digital asset world, uh, and again, I want to touch on one thing you said before, because I think this is something that's not getting through to people. Leaving your money in USDC is a losing bet because of inflation and because they're printing so much money. And people, you just have to understand that. In the U.S., we've never been exposed to hyperinflation, so we don't know what it's like, and we don't believe that it actually could ever happen in the U.S., but prices are starting to rise. We see that inflation is not transitory, like they said. It's going up, and it's hitting to the moon. So there's a really good video from James at Invest Answers where he talks about nine investment, nine retirement portfolios, basically, and shows you the impact inflation can have on your money. If you're leaving money in any account and it's sitting in USD, I, again, not financial advice, but it's something for you to consider. You need to study this area and understand. So how do you get started? For the average person, I would say 90% of your viewers probably have a cash app account. If you don't, I'd be shocked. You probably have cash app, or if you don't have one, you at least know what it is. Cash app allows you to buy Bitcoin with really limited fees. I mean, it's very small fees, but you can buy Bitcoin on there. And not only can you buy Bitcoin, but you can do what's called automated purchasing, which means you can go in and say, listen, I don't know about this whole Bitcoin thing. I've heard that it's supposed to be something. So I'm gonna dip my toe in the water. And this is what I really encourage people to seriously consider. Just say, I'm gonna do $25 every week. Okay, that's a hundred bucks a month you're putting in Bitcoin. 1200 bucks a year. Hopefully most of your viewers can afford that and not even sneeze at it. You probably spend that at McDonald's. I don't know. So, you know, put that in there and then say, invest this every week. Shut the app, walk away, you're done. That's all you need to do. Mark Yusko from Morgan Creek Digital, he's the founder there, actually North Carolina. And he says that Bitcoin is the best savings technology the planet has ever seen. Now, If you're a person that's used to saving, you understand the importance of it. But if you're not, starting to save is is really important. So putting $25 a week into Bitcoin and doing that every week, week over week for a full year, you will be blown away by the results you see in a year's time. And that's even at Bitcoin being at $65,000. Because with Bitcoin, you can buy any amount. So use Cash App, set it, forget it, you're done. That's the easiest way, the most simplest way to get into this market. Now, the, the question is going to be, you know, back, you know, if, you, if you're having a conversation with someone, because I've had this is, <laughs> well, we you know, like, yeah, I, I could see that. But, you know, I'd have $1,200 in my bank account. What's the difference? And maybe I, just to hammer the point home is Bitcoin most likely is not going down. It's an appreciating asset. Can you share what can you let's share the why behind that? Why do you feel based on and and, you know, you're you're in this all day, every day. So why do you feel like it's continually appreciating? Yeah, so Bitcoin is what we called NGU, number go up technology. Now people go, what do you mean number go up technology? Robert Breedlove coined this equation. And I think it's one that all your listeners should, if you do, if you get nothing else out of this conversation, get this equation, cement it in your brain, write it down, put it on your mirror, look at it every day. And I promise you, this is going to change your life. <clears throat> 21 million fixed supply. This is basic economics. This supply and demand. So there's 21 million Bitcoin. That's all there ever be. Why? 
because Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin, who wrote the white paper, which you should read, even if it seems like it's too technical, read it anyway. It's only nine pages, two, two on the front, two on the back, of which are pretty much nothing. So it's five pages. Um, he, in his wisdom, whoever he, they, she, it is, uh, decided that there would be 21 million Bitcoin. That's all there ever be. And it's written in the code. So now we're talking math and code that can't be changed by one individual. There are over 800 developers working on Bitcoin globally. So it is not centralized. It's a very decentralized technology and it can't be shut down because it's running on computers all over the world. So 21 million fixed supply. Now that you got that cement in your head and now to sort of complicate things, 4 million are lost forever. Shitoshi Nakamoto has a wallet with a million that has not been touched since Bitcoin got created. And there's another 3 million that's lost because in the early days, people were mining and they forgot passwords, forgot codes, and now it's gone. So that puts us to 17 million Bitcoin. There are 8 billion people on the planet and there are 30, at least, at least 31 million millionaires in the world. So every millionaire can't have one Bitcoin. Now, that out of the way, that's the first part, 21 million fixed supply plus massive demand. We're seeing people all over the globe adopt Bitcoin. There are people saying, pay me in Bitcoin. Mayors of cities are starting to talk about paying employees in Bitcoin. You've got um, uh, companies that are buying Bitcoin like Tesla and MicroStrategy, and they're not buying one Bitcoin. They're buying hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin. So that's reducing the supply even more. So 21 million fixed supply plus massive demand equals number goes up. That's the NGU technology. So the number will continue to go up over time. Now, can it go down? Of course it can. But what we're saying is have a long time frame preference. And if you do, you saw what happened in 13 years. It went from zero to $65,000. Another 13 years, like I say, north of a million. So going back, though, again, I want to keep hammering this point home and, and make sure folks and, and as we always encourage on here, go do your research, right? There's a lot of different things you can read, look at, go search on YouTube, go down the rabbit hole there on this stuff. Um, and there's great podcasts and stuff. But again, the question comes up. All right. All right, Paul. Well, um, great. But what happens if it goes away? Why can't it go to zero? What again, going back to the the, the negative take you can. It's like, well, I don't see it. What if all of a sudden I wake up tomorrow and the system just goes away? How, how yeah. can that happen? What What are the re, what is the, can can that even happen? What are the yeah? Problems? I mean, we're we're dealing with technology. We're dealing with code. But as it was once said, Bitcoin is the most battle tested technology the planet has ever seen. It's been in existence for thirteen years. It has never been hacked. Now, people go, oh, that's not what I heard. I heard Bitcoin was hacked. No, what you heard was a third-party wallet was attacked, and it was hacked, but not Bitcoin code itself. As a matter of fact, we just had what's called Taproot. It's a new upgrade to the software. Think of Windows. Remember, or think of your iPhone. Every time you open your iPhone, sometimes you see a little thing that says software update, right? And you have to click it, and you have to install it, and now you've got the new update, and it gives you all these new cool features, Bitcoin just had that. It's called Taproot, which is going to make Bitcoin more private. It's going to make it more secure. It's going to make it more scalable. It's going to do a whole bunch of things to Bitcoin that Bitcoin hadn't have done before. So now the fact that 
it is decentralized and it's censorship resistant. Governments have already come out and agreed they can't shut this thing down. They know they can't shut it down. The only way to shut down Bitcoin is you have to shut off the internet. And even if you shut off the internet, there are satellites that are broadcasting the Bitcoin blockchain to devices. So what you have to realize is that, again, Shitoshi Nakamoto and their infinite wisdom realize that they need to create something that's completely outside of control of one government, of one individual, of one entity. And that's what we have with Bitcoin. And so it can't be hacked because there's no way to just go in and you know, it's not like you're stealing passwords and stuff like that. Like you're not like it would be maybe for a company or something. Yeah. And the way to explain it, it again, this sort of gets really technical and I'll be honest with everybody. I'm not a developer. I'm not a programmer. So I'm not going to begin to start trying to explain Merkleized abstract syntax trees, right? That, that, that's technology far beyond my, my comprehension. But what I do know is this it's so Bitcoin's blockchain. And this is what you have to realize. This goes back to the very beginning. The word blockchain is never used in the white paper. It says a chain of blocks. We like to shorten things by saying blockchain, but it's a chain of blocks. Well, what are those blocks? Each block on the Bitcoin blockchain has transactions in it. It's information. Bitcoin is a decentralized ledger. It's basically a re recording of transactions. So if I send Brian $5, the ledger records that. And that ledger is now populated across the entire planet. Everybody can look at that ledger and see that Paul gave Brian $5. So if Brian tries to lie and say, well, no, Paul need to give him $100. Well, that's not going to be the case. And so each block is made up of a bunch of transactions. Mm -hmm. Here's the key of the security. When a block is made, the next block that's made, it takes a piece of the first block to make the second block. And then to make the third block, you have a piece of the second block, which has a piece of the first block to make the third block. So it's like a big train. You can't just go in the middle and pull out a cart. You can't do that. It breaks the whole thing apart. And you can't do that with Bitcoin. It's being secured by cryptography, which is SHA-256 encryption, which is the strongest encryption on the planet. So aside from Bitcoin, Let's try to go down the, the the rabbit hole of the kind of the next biggest asset or, you know, you can technology, however you want to deem it maybe as Ethereum, because yes. obviously it's gotten a lot of steam. So different than Bitcoin, what, what should folks know about Ethereum? Why is that become the second largest um, digital asset in the world? Yeah, so Bitcoin was the first asset that was created. A lot of people don't realize this. Ethereum was the next. It was actually Litecoin. Charlie Lee from Google at the time, he went to go work at Coinbase. He decided to fork the Bitcoin code and he created Litecoin. And then Vitalik Buterin came around. His dad actually talked to him about Bitcoin and Vitalik and his amazing intelligence decided, let's create a platform, a software where we can write smart contracts. And so Bitcoin is meant to be a peer-to-peer -peer electronic currency. It was made to be money. Ethereum wasn't made to be money. It's made to be, let's see, think about the Apple App Store. Before we had iPhones and these digital phones, right? We had the little flip phones, couldn't put anything on them. Now we have iPhones and with the creation of iPhones came the App Store. So that's a software that allows other people to build apps on it. That's what Ethereum is. Ethereum is a software platform that allows, and it's called an ERC-20 standard, allow you to build apps on the Ethereum platform. 
So now you've got this massive ecosystem where everyone's building pretty much businesses on this. That's why Ethereum is so valuable because it's a massive infrastructure in which people are building companies on top of basically. And I think of it going back to, you know, the, the stock kind of analogy earlier, I, I, and I mean, maybe I'm wrong in this, but I kind of think of Ethereum more in the stock standpoint is you're really buying into the technology because as more companies build on Ethereum, uh, as there's more volume out there, well, ultimately it's going to become more valuable as a, as an asset, if you will, is, would you agree with that? Or would you look at it a different way? No, that, that is correct. Now, unlike Bitcoin, which has a 21 million fixed supply, there's no supply to Ethereum. Ethereum can be forever. And so a lot of people say, well, how can that possibly be having value when there's unlimited amount of Ethereum? Ethereum is really called Ether, which is gas for the Ethereum platform. In order for you to build a project on that platform, you have to buy Ethereum in order to build on Ether. Okay, and so, but what's happening with the most recent software upgrade, talked about that before with Taproot with Bitcoin, with Ethereum, they have what's called EIP 1559. With the introduction of that upgrade, they are now what they call burning the supply of Ethereum. So it's reducing how much Ethereum is in circulation, not how much can ever be printed, but how much is in circulation. So when you reduce the circulation, price number must go up, right? So that is why it's starting to get value. And like you said, when you're buying Ethereum, basically you're buying sort of investment in this platform, this company. But most people that buy Ethereum, they're buying it with an intent, a purpose, because they want to build on the platform. And so they're buying it to burn it, to use it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the difference. And what, so you mentioned smart contracts. Again, for folks that are unfamiliar with this, and, and again, everyone can do their, their own research, but give us some examples. Like, what are some things that are being utilized or built using Ethereum? What are, what are some neat technologies that are out there? Well, DeFi is the first thing that comes to mind, right? And so this is what's got Congress and everybody else, the Treasury, all up in arms. Because now with DeFi, there's a smart contract out there. You take people completely out of the equation. There's technology that says if you place, let's say, Ethereum, and here's a great example. It's a, a, plat it's a, it's a protocol called MakerDAO. This is not a company. No individual is running this. It's pure software. If you were to put Ethereum into MakerDAO's platform, it's called a locker, right? You put Ethereum in the locker, and this is a smart contract that does this. And by smart contract, it just means that, um, oh, I know how to, use, how to talk about it. Uh, have you ever heard of if this, then that? Yeah. Okay. It's an if this, then that statement. All it says is if you put Ethereum into this locker, I'm going to give you DAI, which is a stable coin. So if you do this, then this will happen. And it's all automated. So there's no people looking at this. This is just all machines looking at the software code, doing what you say to do. The problem with smart contracts is it's going to do what you say to do. So if there is some type of mistake in the software code or the contract, there will be a problem. But the beauty is that it's starting to mature. So those bugs are getting, kinks are getting worked out. But back to the smart contract, all it says is if you execute one uh, transaction, something else will happen as a result. And that's a smart contract. And, and DeFi, can you share that a little bit? Because I know we're, getting, we're jumping off a variety of different okay. uh, points here. But yeah, DeFi is obviously, it, it's really changing the financial system, the, the game, right? 
It is. And so by DeFi, what I, and that's what I was sort of getting to, is decentralized finance means there's no central authority. It used to be in order for you to get a loan, you had to go to the bank and you had to fill out paperwork and you had to present your credit score and they had to look and see your job income. They had to do all of these different things to give you a loan. With DeFi, on the other hand, you can now collateralize your own loan. You can take Ethereum, put it in MakerDAO, and MakerDAO will then loan you stable coins that you can go spend and do whatever you want with it. The beauty of that is you don't even owe a monthly payment because guess what? They have your Ethereum, which is worth a lot of money. So if you don't, if if, if Ethereum goes down, now the only time this doesn't work is in a bear market because if you put Ethereum in and they print stable coins and Ethereum value drops, you need to bring Ethereum value back up or else it's going to liquidate your Ethereum, which is at the end of the day, not that bad of a deal. But the point is, and that can be really technical, point is this, is that finance is now being decentralized to the point that you don't need a bank anymore to do the things that you normally do, get loans, get credit, those types of things are being done in the digital world. Well, yeah, and the the use case, and obviously NFTs are a big thing. We don't have to go down that, you know, that path today, but um, just the whole standpoint, I, I heard, I think I heard Pom talk about this, about the, which, which I thought was fascinating because I wasn't thinking this way about like um, paychecks and how people get paid in the future. And he made this point, and I don't know if he's the one that initially said this, but I heard it from him was that the whole like, well, everyone gets paid two weeks. Well, why? Well, it's because it takes a lot of people. There's a lot of transaction. There's a lot of setup with accounting and all that stuff. Well, if you could utilize smart contracts, you could utilize the technology, people can get paid every hour or every day, or, you know, they can. So that was an interesting way to make me think a little bit differently about how the technology can be used to actually make it easier. Cause I think the thing that, um, and we talked about this a, a few weeks ago, I know, but like, just how banks made, I think he mentioned something around like $8 billion last year on late fees. And he's like, well, why do people have late fees? Well, it's because the way that they get paid and if certain bills hit at certain times, but if you get paid every day, that goes away for the most part, because now you're not having to, you know, kind of almost get lucky to catch it at a certain time. I don't know, but yeah. it's, a, it's a fascinating space. It is incredibly fascinating because the decentralized world. So I did a podcast. This is probably maybe four years ago. Uh, and was talking crypto campfire podcast was talking about uh, the frictionless society. Right. What we don't realize today is that we're entering that phase where digital assets really changes the game, because if you can combine digital identity, which is this, where NFTs come into place, right? Digital identities with digital currency, you can now do things that would blow your mind. Great example. Let's say our favorite place, Starbucks, right? Everybody goes to Starbucks. With digital technology, if we had it perfected, I could literally drive to Starbucks. And as I'm getting close to that Starbucks, the internet, everything's all connected. It realizes Paul's on its way to Starbucks. When I walk through the door, the building says, hey, Paul's in the building. He wants a medium or a, a tall, medium roasted coffee, make it, have it sitting for him on the counter. When I get there, I can walk in, pick up my coffee. The moment I do, it pays for it with digital currency out of my wallet, right? Because now it's all frictionless. So I can pretty much go anywhere, walk into a, a building, the door is automatically open for me because it knows this is Paul. It can't be fake because I have a digital identity on the blockchain. And then I can purchase something. It can do access control, 
It can purchase things. We think about this. Most people in the future will never, ever think about payments again. When I drive down the road and I'm going from here to New York, I go through multiple toll booths, doesn't even register the fact that I paid something. Why? Because it's on the toll tag and you just go through. I mean, maybe if I got a statement or something came back, says, hey, here's how much you paid. But I've taken several trips up to New York and I don't even know how much it costs to go through the toll booth. Why? It just happens in the background. Push payments way in the background. And all of a sudden, taxes and everything like that are going to start getting paid, like you said, on a day-to-day basis, not a every two weeks, every month basis. Well, and I think one of the other fascinating things, and, and again, this goes down the NFT route a little bit, but like just the, you know, I think because the NFT, I, I, again, I, I get it. It kind of sounds hokey of like, oh, I'm going to buy a piece of digital artwork for, you know, whatever, a million dollars or something like that. And and where does it sit? Well, it's in my digital art room. You know, you got to have the, you put on the the goggles and, you know, I know that's where Zucks wants the metaverse to go, but <laughs> and, and it probably will go there someday. But I like the application of like, you know, someone brought the example of Disney. I thought that was a great analogy where, you know, because right now I can, you can buy like a gift certificate for a hundred dollars and I have for, for Disney. What's neat as an application is, okay, Disney can sell almost like shares of X amount of whatever. And now you can become a member. You can have different, maybe it's early access to the park at certain times. Maybe it's access to, you know, if you have Disney Plus, maybe you get a, a video a week early. There's all these different applications to it. It almost becomes a membership. And again, that, that got me thinking a little different, like, okay, there's there's some different ways that this thing can work, especially with like, um, one of the more fascinating things is just like, because you hear with the music industry of how, you know, th- these record labels and, and how the, the artists kind of, you know, sometimes get screwed on this stuff. It's like, okay, well, I can have uh, I could sell part, you know, Hey, I'm going to sell 5,000 cop, you know, whatever uh, shares of my album. And then people that buy that can actually make money off that as the album does better. And you almost become part of that project. You know, I don't know. There, there's some really neat stuff that I've at least heard recently on this. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, a, it's an interesting space that we're going into for sure. In terms of what you're talking about, kind of owning uh, owning things and making it frictionless versus having all these other middlemen, if you will, that you know, the yeah. world's used to, you know? And what you just said is key. Blockchain technology eliminates middlemen. So if you're a middleman, you are terrified right now because you know chopping blocks coming for you. But with NFTs, which you just mentioned, Timberland has taken this thing a step even further with NFTs and what his next song coming out, he's going to make each track an NFT that will then allow you to purchase them. And then you can mix your own song off of those Mm -hmm. tracks that you purchase. This is starting to be the world that we're living in. Mark Cuban said the same thing. He got excited by NFTs. Why? He realized I can take and sell a ticket to the Mavs game. And that ticket now is an NFT, which means it's unique. And I know who bought that ticket. Might not know their name per se, because you can block that information, but let's just say I knew about the ticket. He doesn't have to worry about scalpers anymore. Why? Because he can now get royalties when that ticket is sold on the secondary market because of the smart contract capability and says, hey, sell the tickets all you want. I'm still getting my cut, right? He can give the first ticket holders, first position ticket holder, me, a gift bag when I come to the stadium. But if I sold that ticket to a second person, they don't get the gift bag because they're not the original purchaser. He can give me incentive to come to after party. Like you said, there's it, it just blows the, the whole lid off of our thinking on what's going to be possible in the future. That's, that's what this technology does. Blockchain really has revolutionized the game. And, and going back to the, to underscore your point from earlier is 
you now have a transaction log of what took place when it took place. Unlike today, if I'm like, wait a minute, I sold Paul that ticket and he took it from me, you know, and it's like, you're like, no, I didn't. What are you talking about? You know, there's no, it's, it's a, he said, she said type situation right now. Right. That's right. Which, uh, yeah. which obviously throws a, throws a monkey wrench in, in any of those type of transactions. Um, it does. And for, for most people, you know, getting started in this, and if you listen to this conversation, your head can just be like, right. It's like, what in the world's going on? Yeah. But if we go back to the beginning again, this is what I try to encourage people because it can be intimidating, but that's why I sort of do what I do when I curate the news. I tell people this, if I, and then this is the tough part. If I can get you to read what I read, watch what I watch and listen to what I listen to, you're going to get it. I promise. Listen, I'm no genius, right? But 12 years ago, I started paying attention and I started reading, watching and listening. As a result, that's what's given me the confidence to stick with this because I've seen some crazy stuff go on. When I saw Andrees and Howitz put $25 million in the Coinbase, and that was early, 2013, my mind was blown. And I'm like, why would they do that if this is a Ponzi scheme or if this is like tulip bulbs? It doesn't make sense. Something else is going on. So I stayed and I dug more and I dug more. And the more I read, the more I listened, I began to watch people from Wall Street leave Wall Street to go to crypto companies. I watched really, really experienced people, reputable people make that shift. So I tell people who you decide to listen to can determine your financial future. So be careful who you listen to about this technology because it's real. So the, one of the last things I want to talk about is, so you, let's say you do bias, you know, and folks go and, and they, they heed your advice and they, you know, automatically buy it, whatever. At what point, and again, not at financial advice, but more thinking about it, because a lot of times it's, it's so volatile. It's like, oh my gosh, I said, sell it. It went up a little bit. What is kind of the thinking around in terms of holding the asset, in terms of thinking about like selling it? Is there any advice you'd give or at least a starting point to think differently? Yeah, yeah. It's funny that you brought that up at the very beginning of the podcast, though. Just two years ago, I was encouraging people to get in at 8,000 and it was 65,000. So if someone's worried about, oh, the volatility in it, guys, you just saw what happened. We were talking about this two years ago and it's at 65,000. Now, can we see this thing go down for the next year or so? Maybe, but here's the thing, based on the smart, intelligent people that I listen to and that I read and I watch, they're looking at on-chain analytics, and I know that can get really high and technical, but the reality is they're watching the blockchain and they're seeing who's holding, who's selling, where the money's moving. And right now, it's saying that more people are holding this asset and they're never, ever, ever going to sell it, reducing the supply, which means we're going to have a supply shock come because there's going to be more demand than there is supply, numbers are going to go way, way up. So what I tell people about what could help you to hold on to these assets is the same thing. With Bitcoin and Ethereum, I can be 100% confident in looking at these projects saying there is a high degree of certainty that they're going to perform well over time. And by time, I don't mean a month or two months, and I don't even mean a year or two years. I'm saying stretch your time frame five, 10 years, right? This is not a get rich quick scheme type thing. Don't even try to play that game. You'll hurt yourself. Long-term, think long-term. If you decide to do this, think very long-term. And that should give you the confidence that this technology is going to stay around. It's not going to go anywhere. 
El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender in El Salvador. And now they're talking about Zimbabwe being the next country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. Why? Because they understand the same thing that everybody else does. This is number go up technology. At least it's not going to get eaten away by inflation. At worst, your money stays pretty much solid. So um, that's what I would tell people. Keep reading. The more you read, the more you watch, the more you listen. And actually, it was Anthony Scaramucci who said, Anyone who starts studying Bitcoin, the more they learn, the more they commit to Bitcoin putting it in. And if you think that's a joke, let's take a look at our wonderful friend, Mr. Wonderful on AMC Shark Tank. What did he say at first? He forbade, he forbid Anthony Pompliano for putting 50% of his net worth into Bitcoin. He today is now at 10% of his net worth into Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, the, the um yeah, it's it's such a fascinating space. I, I just enjoy because again, you look at it from the technology of, of where yes. the world and where the world's going, and and I look at it from kind of where the money's moving. Um, to, and you mentioned a couple times like people starting to invest. You start seeing big, you know, Wall Street. You start seeing others get involved. One of the things too, I, I listened to uh, a podcast with Robert Breedlove. Yes, and you know he talks about and this is something fascinating. I would encourage everyone is the uh, the properties of money. You know, there's five properties of money. I'm not, I don't remember them all right now. So don't quiz me on them. But the, he talks about the five properties of money and how they check all the boxes, similar to gold. But I think mm-hmm. gold, even the the one, I think it was portability. Um, portability, portability is the tough, mm-hmm. is the is the tough one. But Bitcoin kind of checks all the boxes um, mm-hmm. for, for the properties of money, which was fascinating. Again, trying to learn that that was the thing for me. I think what got me really over the edge was learning about why it's considered money. And how did how did money even start? Like, why does mm-hmm. money exist? What are some of the different iterations of money? The thousands of iterations of money over the years, right? Everyone thinks I, I think like, oh, the U.S. dollar, like it's always been here. Well, no, there were so many different types of you know coins and and um, quote unquote Rocks dollars and shells. Yeah, so many different types of stuff. So, anyways, it, it's an interesting space. Um, we didn't really get too much into, you know, you know, altcoins, if you will, but is there anything you'd say at least as an encouragement for folks not thinking about Bitcoin or Ethereum, but maybe some of these smaller projects, these things going on where they see like, wow, the, you know, they're going up a thousand percent or anything like that, like a, with any encouragement at least to start in that realm? Yeah. So, you know, we're in this weird world of digital assets. And as we've been talking, we've talked mostly about what we would probably consider the blue chip type digital assets. And then you do have the small cap and the micro cap type, if you look at it and compare it to the stock market, right? And then you've got just this weird stuff, the meme coins, which is getting all the attention right now because it is, it's fun, it's exciting. It's got that lottery type field. And that's what I tell people, just remember, Play it like the lottery. Listen, if you've got the economic wherewithal to blow a hundred bucks, yeah, put a hundred bucks in the shed. Who cares? It's a hundred bucks. You don't care. You can lose it, whatever. Will it go to the moon? Maybe. Who knows, right? Just look at the meme coins, Shiba Inu, Dogecoin, Floki Inu. I mean, there's so many of them popping up every day. There's over 15,000 different digital assets, by the way. So, you can't keep your head around all of them. Don't try to invest in all of them. I know people that are trying to get all these game tokens and meme coins, and you're going to kill yourself that way. Go back to what Charlie Lee said. Work 
to own one Bitcoin, which is incredibly hard to do. And then if you want to go invest in anything else, have at it. Go play into your heart's content. Just don't take your hard-earned money, putting it into a meme coin, thinking somebody else did it and they got became a millionaire, so I'm going to yeah. go do it. Guys, it's dangerous to play those games. Put your hard-earned money into those Bitcoin, Ethereum-type portfolios. And then if you do have the ability to play a little bit, sure, go play yeah, I think that's great. Okay. That's great advice. I mean, and that's, I think for anyone, it's like, sure, you could risk a little bit, but what's your risk tolerance? And yep. then, you know, but at least invest in, in kind of the big players that most likely, again, adoption is going to be there for the long term. Cause that's why some of these others, who knows? That's why I haven't dabbled into that space at all. Like those, the, the doge coins and sucks. I'm like, yeah, I don't even want to. I don't know. There's, there's no, I don't, I don't, I don't need the, I don't need the stress of like thinking like, Oh, well, geez, it went there or there, you know? Yeah. And the other thing is like we've said before, listen, if you're someone listening to this and you do have a financial advisor, uh, you definitely need to turn to them, take this information to them and see if they're even aware. If they're not aware, there are resources for financial advisors like Rydak. Rick Edelman is putting together an organization. There's a guy named Tyrone Ross who's putting together organizations helping investment advisors get up to speed. So I would definitely say that if you're someone who doesn't have an investment advisor, okay, again, you need to do your research. Anything you hear us talking about, please go take the time to start reading some articles, listen to some podcasts, educate yourself a little bit to understand what it is before you put any money. And then if you do commit money, start really small and slow. Don't try to rush to become a millionaire. Listen, put a little money in Bitcoin, see what it does. One day it's going to go up and one day it's going to go down. See how that makes you feel. If you're all worried and you can't sleep at night because you got a hundred bucks in and it went to 50 bucks, you might not want to play in this game. But if you're okay with that, then commit a little bit more, read, keep reading a little bit more. The more you do that, you're going to be like all these other guys. It'll be 10%, 50%, 100%. Yeah, and I, I, I think that, and the last point I'll make on it at least, and because this is coming from someone that's, you know, I would consider myself, one level above a novice, right? Like I, I know enough to be dangerous. I, I listen to a lot of this stuff research, but I'm, I'm sure there's a million things I don't even know about is I kind of, I kind of looked at it as like a, like the 401k as an example. I don't really, I mean, I can log into my 401k account. I don't ever look at it though. I just assume it's going to, you know, continue because it's like a target date fund. It's going to go, it'll go up and down if the stock market if you know if we have some you know challenges with it coming up, just like we did maybe 08 or something, 09, right? It's gonna go down a bunch. But assuming it will come back and go, that's how I kind of have started to think about the digital assets more is like there's gonna be a lot of volatility, but I'm I'm banking on that it's gonna continually appreciate over a pie. I, I like the whole thought of yes, if we look at the last six or eight months or whatever, like it, it there's like the big sharp curves up and down. But if you zoom out 10 years, it's a slow, you know just kind of upward tick to the right. That's how I kind of think about it in more of a novice naive terms is like, well, put it in there as your point, let it just automatically do it, put enough to, to kind of get your, you know, wet your beak and then just don't think about it and check back in a year or two years, five years, you know, you can log into your account if you want, but you know what I'm saying? Like, don't think about like, oh, I'm going to sell it next week just because it went down a little bit. It probably will go down, but so does other stuff, you know? 
Exactly. And no one can ever tell you, if anyone tells you that it's risk-free and that you can put your money into it and it's going to go up and go up and don't, don't believe them. Listen, nothing's risk-free and nothing goes up in a straight line. Right. There will be pullbacks. There will be another bear market in Bitcoin. You can count on it. And it's okay. Because again, if you understand what this really is, and I'll, I'll also just say this, this is, this will again, hopefully make people pay a little bit more attention. Michael Saylor is the CEO of a billion-dollar company publicly traded. He came across Bitcoin initially, and he was shooted away like, whatever, that's, that's nothing, that's Ponzi scheme and strike stuff. Eventually, it came back on his radar again. He paid attention this time because he was in search of something. He saw his money getting inflated away, and he goes, I've got to find something to do. Came across Bitcoin again, and he says, aha, I finally got it. Now, this is an MIT rocket scientist, literally rocket scientist guy. He convinced his board to put, I think it was 600 or 700 million dollars into Bitcoin. Or maybe I think back, no, the first deal they did was 400 million dollars into Bitcoin. And then he saw how that performed. And then he bought 270 something million himself of Bitcoin. And then he came back and he raised a bond, a convertible bond offering that would convert that bond into his company stock for people that bought it, or he would pay them out in six years. And that got oversubscribed. And then he came out and did just a pure debt offering. And that got oversubscribed. And then he raised another billion dollars in his company stock to buy more Bitcoin. And that got oversubscribed. He's never going to stop buying Bitcoin. And this is once you understand this, you will buy and buy and buy, and you'll never stop buying because you understand that this is an asset that is scarce. It's, the, it's more scarce than gold. That's why you're going to buy, and that's why you're going to hold your money in. It's going to stay. Oh, Paul. <laughs> we can talk for hours here. Um, I hope this is helpful for folks. I mean, it's just helpful me listening back always to you. And, and again, it gets you thinking like, go do your research. Go, you know, we'll listen to podcasts. Go do whatever just to get your thinking around it. Because I, it's like a lot of other stuff is sometimes we'd rather just be hands off. If we don't understand it, we'd rather, instead of being you know, naive for a few hours or a few weeks or a few months, uh, but learning and advancing. Sometimes we're like, no, let me just not even, I don't even want to talk about it because, you know, I think this is one of those areas, like, especially if you plan on living in the future, you want to at least understand, know about, have some intellect behind. Are there any um, kind of as some last piece of advice or insight, any resources Maybe it's a podcast or two that have been valuable that, you know, really have some good interviewing and some good people on there. Uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, certain articles, anything like you would share as resources to get started with this. Yeah. So again, again, not self-promotion, but the cryptocurator.com is a website that has all the articles every day on them. It has all the podcasts on it every day. It has great videos on there for you to watch. And I do a daily brief of that, and I give you the top video, top article, top podcast, top blog every day of what you should be paying attention to. Now, some of the names out there that you should pay attention to, Altcoin Daily puts out a phenomenal video every single solitary day and sometimes twice, right? They're keeping you up to speed. They go far deeper into how some of these projects work than I'll ever do. So that's a place that you can go if you really want to be entertained with the curation of news. They do that, a good job with that. If you're looking for podcasts, again, Anthony Pompiano's podcast is great, but just like Altcoin Daily, the, um, the breakdown with NLW, he does a great job at hitting some really key points about what's going on, and he goes a little bit deeper into some of those explanations. So take a look at some of those 
Brother videos, podcasts, Google Bitcoin, Google dig- digital assets, stuff will pop up on your radar. It's massive now. So I think if anybody is really interested and if this has whet their appetite enough, start going down this rabbit hole, I promise you, you will never come out. And I, I, will, I will end with this. Whatever you do before you do all that other stuff, please go Google the Bitcoin white paper and either read it or go to YouTube and Google Bitcoin white paper and listen to it. Either one of those you can do in a day. You can read it in a day. You can listen to it in a day. I promise you it'll change your life. I'll link up in the show notes that Bitcoin white paper for everyone um, where they can at least access that. So yeah, that'd this, be great. this has been an absolute pleasure. Always enjoy our conversations. Thanks for coming back on the podcast and, uh, and sharing your infinite wisdom. <laughs> Thanks, man. I just, the person that knows a little bit about a lot. So <laughs> there you go. Hey everyone, just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, If you go to my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.